Well, good morning, beloved. How's everybody this morning? Good. Praise be to God. He's seen us through the week. Every moment, every hour, he's been with us, keeping us, and appointed this time for us to gather and to worship his name. We're going to turn to God's word in a little bit. If you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, um, that's where we'll be spending our time this morning. But before we do that, a couple other things to uh, bring to your mind uh, by way of celebration and thanksgiving. Uh, and a couple other things to give. First off, if you're here this morning and you need a Bible, just raise your hands. We have a couple of sisters who are um, handing out Bibles this morning. If anybody needs a Bible, uh, raise your hand, keep them high, we'll bring them to you. Uh, if, that's a, if that's a loner, if you have a Bible at home, then feel free to turn it uh, into the table after the service. But if you do not own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We would love for you to take this and to own it and to read it and to treasure it the way that we do. In terms of treasuring God's Word, there's a new sermon card out this morning. So if you didn't get one of these at the uh, welcome table, um, please feel free to pick up a sermon card. We'll see the upcoming sermons listed by date and by series. Uh, pray for the Word as it's being preached and think about whom you might invite to church to hear the Word. Perhaps there's a sermon or a title that catches your eye and you think, oh, so-and-so might be interested to hear God's Word on that subject. Invite them that Sunday uh, and pray for the ministry of the Word. Um, we did acknowledge some anniversaries, um, but there's some other folks who ain't quite had an anniversary yet, but they did pick up some jewelry. And man, I got a little jewelry this past week. We want to give God praise for Faraji and Serena for Speedy and their engagement. There you go. Girl, wave with the ring hand. Wave with the ring hand. There you go. <laughs> we praise God for you. We praise God for you. And this past weekend, in God's kindness, we had our annual women's retreat. Amen? If I can, I want us as a congregation to give God thanks and praise for the ladies who were part of the planning team for the women's retreat. They could just stand wherever you are, all the sisters who were a part of that. Amen. We want to thank you, Ms. Jacqueline, for your fearless, intrepid leadership. You've led this the last two or three years, and we give God praise for you, sister. Thank you for serving us in this way. And there are a couple of sisters who want to come give a, a word of testimony. So I want to invite uh, those two sisters who are going to share with us this morning uh, to come on up. Don't be shy. And, uh, yeah, bless the Lord this morning. Let's see what we got. Okay, good morning, y'all. So basically, the women's retreat was three days this week. Um, I mean, not this week, last week, obviously. And um, basically, the first day we came in, we were all trying to get to know each other. We were doing, we were doing like a speed dating type thing where we just kind of asked like questions. Like the third question got real deep, like real quick. I was like, I don't know if I want to share all that. Like I don't know everybody yet. But yeah, it was it was good. Like uh, the second week, I mean, the second day, we started going more in depth with about different sessions. And I want to say that what Joya was speaking on stood out the most to me because she was talking about where your GPS, where, where you think your GPS is leading you to. Like um, she gave the example of how she puts in her, her address because um, she's a little bit of a, I think she said a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> where she needs to put in every time and the phone doesn't need to have, but she put it in so many times that to the point where it already knew. And she was like, wait a minute, how, you know, how you know that? But that was just like an analogy in showing like how whatever you do the most, like that'll start coming, it'll start being like who you are. So make sure that your GPS is in the right way. So that kind of gave me like a reality check, like, dang, do I have my priorities in order? And yeah, it was just it was really good. And then the third day, we finished with the last session and we had like a, a panel with the older saints and we was talking about cobras, you know, in DC, they're a little dangerous, they look nice, but you know, if you know, you know, you just gotta be there. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was really fun. We, we laughed together, we, we cried together, we joked together, it was great. So yeah, definitely recommend all women to come. Yeah, women, but yeah, it was good. <laughs> The notes. I'm gonna have to get the notes on that Cobra talk, whatever that is. Good morning. 
Good morning, church family. Uh, my name is Ashley Holston. Um, I've been a member of ARC since February of this year, and this was my first um, ARC women's retreat that I attended. And yes, it was a great time. It was a great time. Um, so th super um, thankful for the opportunity to attend. Um, I was kind of dragging my feet at first about going, if I'm honest, because it can be hard getting plugged into a new church family and uh, building new relationships, especially in the midst of the pandemic. But this time was really, really, really good for my soul. And it was so encouraging hearing um, various sisters share from the word about what it looks like to abide in Christ. And um, just walking through First John verse by verse and seeing what it looks like to um, um, live a life of a Christian and what it actually looks like to have evidence in our lives that we are in Christ and then what it looks like to not be living a life as a Christian. And so I'm super thankful to have just have the gospel preached on and on throughout the weekend to have built relationships with many sisters that were there. I wish I would have worn my yellow shirt today to, you know, my proof that I was there, but it was, <laughs> but it was a really good time. Very thankful for the way that the Lord uses the women in the church, especially the older saints. I was so encouraged by the older saints in the church that um, who were sharing uh, throughout the weekend that I had an opportunity to talk to one-on-one. -on -one, and um, it just gave me hope for the future to see people who are further down the line walking with Jesus, still walking with Jesus. He's still sustaining them. And um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to continuing to build the relationships that were started this weekend. Yeah, Amen. Praise God. And, and we had the privilege this year, I think of, I think, Ms. Jacqueline, correct me if I'm wrong, there were like five expositions, maybe six expositions uh, through First John, and all the teachers were sisters in the church um, who were just capable at handling God's word and teaching God's, say again, equipment, so folks will know that. So um, yeah, praise God for raising up sisters uh, as well as brothers who can handle God's word uh, and teach it to God's people, amen? Amen. So let me pray, and then we'll give our attention to the book. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to appear before you, dressed in the righteous robes of Christ, having, Lord, thrown away the, the ragged and dirty clothes of this world. We now appear before you spotless not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And we appear before you hopeful. Hopeful because your word tells us that having begun this good work in us, you will carry it on until completion. We long for the day of completion, Lord. And we shall be finally and fully and forever just like Jesus. Lord, we marvel that you would do this kind of miraculous spiritual work in our lives through something as ordinarily used as words. But we do pray, take the words of this book, your Bible, take the words of this sermon, and do the work that you have determined to do in each and every one of our souls and in our souls collectively as a church, we pray. Speak to us and give us Hearing, believing ears, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm from down south. Greatest state in the country, North Carolina. Let it be known. Let it be heard. But the south is different. It's a culture you kind of have to be careful in. Not everything in the South is as it appears. For example, you might think Southerners are nice people. Speaking as a Southerner, I can tell you there's, there's a pretty good chance that you're mistaking polite for nice. Polite and nice are not the same thing. Southerners specialize in being polite while not being very nice. Let me illustrate this. Have you ever heard someone say, bless your heart? Now, if you just take those words alone, you might think it's a nice person wishing you well, but it all depends on how it's used, doesn't it? 
you know, if, if you add a little word like little, bless your little heart, that's only a compliment to children. Everybody, everybody else is being insulted with a smile, right? Or if you add another little phrase to it, like, bless his heart, he don't know no better. I mean, you're basically being called an idiot, right? They're being polite, but not necessarily nice. Human beings are tricky that way. Even words of blessing can be turned into insults. But God is not like us. Praise God. God is not like us. When God gives us words of blessing, God means it. And when it comes to wishing us well, God is all in on the project. I think, for example, about a couple of verses in the Psalms that speak to God's blessing, excuse me, from Proverbs and James. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. That's one of the ways we can tell if a blessing is actually from the Lord or is from our imagination. Because if you got the thing and you got sad, that's probably us baptizing our desires in religious speak. Because God adds no sorrow to his blessings. Or think, for example, of James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And then James says this with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's not shifty. God's not shady, right? There's, there's no change with God. His blessings really are blessings. No clever phrases that use polite words to say unkind things. A blessing from God's word only has one meaning that God is blessing you. No tricks, no insults, no word games. We've been doing a series through our church covenant. As you'll recall from the opening couple of sermons, the series or covenant is basically an agreement, kind of like a contract. It establishes a relationship between two or more parties. In the Bible, there are different kinds of covenants. The, the main covenants in the Bible are covenant relationships that God establishes with his people, where he calls them to come worship him and to know him and to obey his word. And as a consequence of their obedience, he promises blessings. And as a consequence of their disobedience, he promises correction. But there are other kinds of covenants in the Bible, too. We think of the marriage covenant, which we see as early as Genesis chapter 2, or we think of friendship covenants like David and Jonathan. Well, here in this series, we're talking about a church covenant. What we agree to as a covenant community, what we, how we agree to live together and to practice the faith uh, in these short statements that summarizes key teachings, key points from the Bible. We've come now to the end of our series, and we're looking at that very last phrase there, that very last sentence, excuse me. It is a quotation from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It's a benediction. It's a fancy word, bene, meaning good, diction, meaning words. It is good words or words of blessing. You've heard them before if you've been at this church because this is the benediction, the, the, the words of blessing that, that I usually pronounce at the end of a service. It's right here at the end of our church covenant as well. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want us to uh, consider two points from this benediction and from the context of this benediction. Number one, churches have difficulties. Churches have difficulties. And number two, yet God blesses the church greatly. Yet God blesses the church greatly. And if you want this whole sermon in one point, you might put it this way. The church's difficulties do not prevent God's blessings. The church's difficulties do not prevent God's blessings. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read for a little bit of context from verses 11 down to the end. Paul ends this letter to the church in Corinth with these words. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. 
Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Can we say amen? Two points. Churches have difficulties. That's point number one. Among the churches in the Bible, the church here in Corinth likely had the most difficulties. This is a, a ratchet church, really. It's the only church that received two letters full of correction. Yet, this church is in the Bible, and I take great comfort from that. See, the Bible is not a book about superheroes who have no problems. The Bible, beloved, is a book about real people experiencing real life, and in the context of real life, they have real difficulties. That's one of the ways we know the Bible is, is reliable. It tells the truth about human beings. It tells the truth about life. And this church, the truth about this church is that it has some problems. Just for context, in chapters 12 and 13 here, let me sort of cherry pick a few, for a few verses just for context and illustration. Notice number one, they had difficulty with pastors. They didn't listen to Paul's instructions right away in the first letter, and they had come to believe that maybe Paul was after their money. So look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14. The apostle Paul had to write there, here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Paul was concerned about coming again uh, to visit them, to try and put this church in order once again. He had written earlier about another letter that he wrote to them, which had been a stern letter that had kind of bruised some of the people. And he's concerned about coming to visit them, and he's concerned that that next visit is actually going to make things worse because of the difficulty that the apostle is having with the people. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 20. The apostle writes there, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, slander gossip, conceit, and disorder. Does that sound like a church? Not, not to our sort of idealized, romanticized notions of church, does it? We've gotten so used to church being a little community where everybody puts on airs and everybody pretends that they're all right with each other. But no, the Bible's talking about real folk, talking about real churches. And real churches have difficulties, and sometimes the difficulties are between the pastors and the people. But notice they got a second difficulty. they got a difficulty with purity, too. This was a church whose sexual sin was public and scandalous. One, one man, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, slept with his stepmother. It was so bad, Paul had to tell him to stop associating with anyone who calls themselves brother or Christian who lives a sexually immoral life. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he writes there, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such one. And when Paul comes now to write 2 Corinthians, He's concerned that that immorality, that impurity, is still going on. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is a church, like a lot of churches, with Christians, like a lot of Christians, who are struggling to live by the Bible's sexual ethics, right, and are carried away toward sexual sin. It's a church with difficulties, with problems. Here's the third one. They had difficulty, Paul was concerned, with perseverance, with perseverance. Paul cannot take for granted that the Christian church is a genuinely saved church. He cannot be sure that they are persevering or continuing in the way of Jesus. That's why he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 now, verse 5. 
Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. You see, the apostle's at the point where the most loving thing he can say is, you really need to be sure that you're a Christian. Examine yourselves. Are you in Christ and is Christ in you? Don't take that for granted. Don't pretend about it. Be sober-minded. Test yourself. Keep in mind, Paul is not addressing the weak Christian here. Some people are genuine Christians, but they struggle with doubts about whether they're Christians. They don't yet have what the Bible calls full assurance. Now, with such Christians who struggle with full assurance, we need to provide encouragement, not a test. No, Paul here is dealing not with the weak, but the wicked. He's calling for those who have not repented to prove their faith and conversion by repenting and following Jesus' words. And those who behave wickedly have to sometimes be challenged this way. Are you a Christian? Is Christ in you? Are you in Christ? What evidence do you give of that in the form of repentance and faith and submission to his lordship? And so Paul is wanting to make sure that they are who they profess to be because they have a difficulty with perseverance, it seems. Number four, they have a difficulty with peace. The difficulty with peace. As a result of all this, and as you might guess, the, the Christians in Corinth are struggling to get along. That, that's why Paul exhorts them in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, finally, brothers, rejoice, be happy. Aim for restoration. Relationships are broken. There's tension. And what? Look, okay, your goal should be to be restored to each other. Comfort one another. Folks are no doubt hurt by the words that have been said or actions that have been taken. And that hurt is real. And he said, hey, look, your ministry right now is to soothe that, to comfort one another. Agree with one another. Stop arguing. Agree on the main things. Build your unity in agreement. Live in peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but the, but the positive presence of calm and unity and gladness. But here's his promise, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's the life the Lord blesses with his presence, right? So the, so the Corinthian church was a ratchet church. That's why the Apostle Paul has to refer to his authority and power in order to nudge them toward righteousness and edification. He's not pulling a power play, but he's instead referring to his, his authority, his position as an apostle, in a way that's meant to build up the church. 2 Corinthians 13.10. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come... I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority the Lord has given me. Why has the Lord given him the authority? For building up and not for tearing down. And yet, despite all these difficulties, the apostle ends his letter to the Corinthians, this is what I want to see, with words of blessing. Before we consider the blessing itself, let's just consider the fact that the letter ends this way rather than with a rebuke. What are we to make of that? Well, I think we can make at least two things of the fact that this letter written to a church with many problems ending with a blessing. I think we can make at least two things of that. Number one, very simple, but we need to hold this in mind. God blesses imperfect churches. He blesses imperfect churches. That's good news because there are only imperfect churches in the world. Every church you've ever seen is a church with difficulties. Every one of them, yes, including ARC. We are no exception to this rule. But every church you've ever seen, if it's a church, if they, have if they really are in the faith, every church you've ever seen is also blessed by God. Every one of them, including ARC. We are no exception. In the midst of all our difficulties and the uncertainties of life, guess what God is doing? 
is blessing us. And speaking his word is blessing over us. In fact, as Zephaniah puts it, Zephaniah 3.17, I believe it is, he sings over us in love. So here's the question for us as a church as we think about covenant community and renewing our covenant with each other. We think about going back to basics and, and what it means for us to be a covenant community. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves about our church and God's work here. Can we see God's blessings despite man's messes? Can we see God's blessings despite man's messes? It's so tempting to sort of give all of our attention to all of the weaknesses, all of the imperfections, all of the difficulties, all of the problems, all of the, all of the sins and the failures. That's, that's so easy to give attention to because it's so, so, so often disappointing and hurtful and discouraging. And, and the eye is drawn away from God, down to man, and down to an incident. And then we are tempted to take an incident, however painful and harmful uh, or discouraging it, it really may be. I'm not denying that. But we are tempted to take that incident and now recolor our whole perspective of the whole church. And not just our local church, but the temptation for many of us will be to, to sort of color all churches that way. By that time, we have to some significant degree lost sight of God's goodness, of God's blessing, which is in even imperfect churches. That's, that's one observation. Here's the second observation. There are no weaknesses then, and this is related to the first one, there are no weaknesses in a church that should lead us to give up on the church. There are no weaknesses in a local church, little C church, that really should lead us to give up on the big C church, a church altogether. Ephesians 5.1 calls us to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. If we're going to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, then we have to find a way to love what God loves and to give ourselves to what God gives himself to. The one thing we know God loves, and the one thing we know God gives himself to, is his church. It's his church. With all her blemishes, with all her brokenness, with all the brutality even that sometimes seems to happen in her and around her, with all of the, the discouragement and despondency that can arise out of those imperfections, with all of that going on, still, God loves his church, gives himself to his church, blesses his church. I want to be very clear in saying all of this, this does not mean we should continue as members in harmful or heretical churches. In fact, we shouldn't. We should leave. It does mean, though, that we can leave one local church without giving up on all local churches. And for some people right now in this season, in, in American Christianity, that's the very fight of faith for them. Leaving one church so broken, so hurt, and they're tempted to give up on all churches. And without knowing any details of anybody's story or things of that sort, I, I can assure you that all churches are not like that one church. And I can assure you that God is at work in his church, even by the exposing of the weaknesses and problems in her church. You read the report of the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee keeping a record of some 700 sexual offenders and predators that were uh, in local churches, but not being disciplined or arrested and prosecuted. That's enough to make you want to pull out of every church. But praise be to God. That's a denomination of 15, 20, 25,000 churches 
most of whom are ordinary, quiet little congregations praising Jesus with no scandal. They got other imperfections, but no scandals, being faithful in their fallen and limited way. We can sort of take a look out on the church world and, and want more from our churches in terms of a fight for justice or speaking up for the vulnerable or whatever the case may be. And we can look sometimes for a long time and find very little evidence of that thing that we're hoping for. We can be tempted to give up on the whole church. Beloved, I just want to encourage you not to do that. The Lord has people who do not bow the knee to Baal. The Lord has people and shepherds who would lay down their lives for the sheep rather than fleece or beat the sheep. Be patient until the Lord reveals the place and the people that he has for you. And then trust him because he blesses the church, even though the church has difficulties. And beloved, you may know someone who is fighting that fight of faith right now. Our job isn't so much to convince, I don't think, as to pray. Just pray that the chief shepherd would gather them in his arms, carry them close to his heart, as we read in Isaiah 43, I believe it is. And just know the chief shepherd, just pray that the chief shepherd, with his own time and his own way, not only protect but open the heart to see his good work in the midst of messy people. Point number one, the church has difficulties. Point number two, Yet God blesses the church greatly. Let's turn now to the actual blessing that Paul uses to end this letter. This is not a Southerner's bless your heart. This is a kind of wish prayer that the apostle really means. This is a benediction, as we said before, literally good words or words of blessing. And it's God's blessing on this troubled church. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The two things to observe about this one verse, notice number one, that it's Trinitarian. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all mentioned here in this blessing. I take this to mean that the greatest blessing of God to the church is more of God himself to the church for its enjoyment. Let me say it a different way. And the greatest blessing that Paul could end this letter with was not, may God fix all your problems. I'm sure the apostle wanted that. But indeed, the greatest blessing of Christian faith, the greatest blessing of biblical religion, the greatest and the highest blessing that we could imagine is in fact that we should have more of God himself. If God didn't fix another problem, if we had more of God, that would be a great blessing. If, if God left us in our suffering for some season and reason that we could not sort of understand, yet we had more of God, that would be a tremendous blessing. If, if God should let us struggle financially and to endure poverty, again, for reasons we don't understand, despite our hard work at three jobs, yet we had more of God. God, there would not be a higher blessing than that. To have God and to know God, that's the blessing. Notice again, it's the, the whole triune Godhead, each person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. We, we Christians, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, we Christians believe that there's only one God in substance, that there is one essence to God, and yet this one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each person is fully God, yet there is one God. We can't explain all of that. It defies human wisdom. And yet this is what the Bible says. This is what we see in a verse like this. And it makes sense to us in this way, that if God be God, and if he be infinite in all of his ways, and if he be wonderful beyond any comparison, then we cannot and should not be able to understand everything about him. 
If God be God, he, he escapes, he surpasses our wisdom and our understanding. And holds together in himself things that we can't easily rec reconcile with logic. God is one God in three persons, each person fully God, and yet there is one God. I love the way Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, speaks to this. He says, the, the triune being of God is vital oxygen of Christian life and joy. That God in his Trinitarian essence is the oxygen of our Christian life and joy. He, he goes on to write this, to know the Trinity is to know God, an eternal and personal God of infinite beauty, infinite interest, and infinite fascination. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a God that fascinates you? Seriously, think about it for a minute. Do you have a God that fascinates you? Or, or is your conception of God so neat and tidy and small that you're actually kind of bored with God? It's the thing I know about human creatures. If, if something doesn't fascinate us, we get tired of it pretty quick, don't we? We get dull with it. But here's a God in the Trinity, so fascinating, so interesting, so complex, so large, that it would take us not only our whole lives, but all of eternity to begin to get a, a glimpse of the wonder and intricacy and beauty of this God. And this is the God who gives himself to us for our delight. People do not truly know God unless they know him as the Trinity. The Athanasian Creed was written in the 5th or the 6th century, and it puts it well. Let me read this section of the Creed. Whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the Catholic faith, small c, Catholic, which means universal, the, 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 the Christian faith universal. Anyone who does not keep the Catholic faith whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. So now the interested should be asking the question right now, what is the Catholic faith? Next section. Now this is the Catholic faith that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and the person of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Before they were fancy seminaries and pricey theological books, there were Christians in the 4th and 5th century and earlier setting down statements like this. That to know God is to know him in his triune being. To know that there is one God in three persons, and yet they share the same essence as God. And from the fifth century, at least, Christians were saying, listen, there really is no salvation without the Trinity. Then you ask yourself the question, where are they getting stuff like that from? Well, from the Bible. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes this long one-on sentence, having about 64 words in the Greek, I think. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 down to verse 14. And in that sentence, Paul is talking about salvation, and he basically says three things. This is what he says about salvation, that the Father appoints us to eternal life, the Son accomplishes our eternal life, and the Holy Spirit applies the Son's work for our eternal life. That the Father, before the worlds began, saw a people that he loved and he wanted, and he appointed them to be saved from the judgment of God coming against the world because of their sin. And not only did he appoint them to salvation, but he sent his son who would accomplish that salvation by living a perfectly righteous life in their place and dying a death on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins in their place and would be raised from the grave three days later. 
And all of that work of Jesus would be applied to our lives when the Holy Spirit would raise us from death to life, give us faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and seal us until the day of redemption. That if you lose any person in the Trinity, you lose the whole Christian conception of salvation. If you lose any person in the Trinity, it is impossible for us to be saved from God's wrath, to have our sins removed, to be reconciled to God, and to live eternally in his kingdom. Oh, beloved, the whole Godhead has been interested in your salvation. So interested as each person would take a part in your redemption. This is the God who gives himself to us in the gospel. And beloved, if you're here this morning, we are not holding out to you, if you're not yet a Christian, we're not holding out to you sort of mere things, little things, in one sense, little things, like merely being forgiven or, or, or merely being saved from God's judgment or, or merely going to heaven. We're here offering you the God who did that for you not just the gifts of the gospel, but the giver of the gospel. Not, not just the blessings of the gospel, but the being who conceived of the gospel and executed your salvation in time and eternity. We, we're here calling you to come know God as he shows himself in his word, in all of his triune beauty. That, beloved, is your salvation. That, beloved, is your eternal hope. <laughs> and not just that you know God, but that he knows you. And so we call you to trust in this God who has done everything you need to be blessed eternally in his presence. Confess your sins. Turn away from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus, the one crucified for you, buried and resurrected. Put your hope in God, the one who sent his son to redeem you. Put your hope in the Holy Spirit, the one who will give you faith and keep you until God comes to get you. And walk in the blessedness that is this God. But now notice that God not only gives us his whole self, we saw there the Trinitarian God. See now the Trinitarian goodness of God. We also receive the individual blessings of each person in the Godhead. There, notice there that Paul writes about the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first we receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another word for grace is kindness. Undeserved and unearned kindness. So Paul now wishes upon the Corinthian church, he blesses the Corinthian church with this, this calling forth of Jesus' grace. Now think about his grace for a moment, beloved. The Lord's kindness begins, it only begins with his voluntary sacrifice for our sins. That was grace, Jesus taking our place when we should have been judged. But that's just the beginning of his grace. By, by grace, you have been saved. It, it does not end there, beloved. The Lord's grace continues now in his intercessory prayers for us. Right now, as you sit in this auditorium, there is the Son of God sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, praying for us, stepping in for us, asking the Father, bless us and to keep us. Jesus' ministry was not finished in his cross work and his resurrection. He is right now in his heavenly session, ruling as the Son of God, bringing all things under his feet, and as the ruler of all things, beloved, he prays for you. He intercedes for you and me. He always lives, the Bible says, to intercede for us. And if and when we do sin, the Bible says his grace abounds more and more. Where sin abounds, Romans says, grace does much more abound, super abounds. We will translate it literally. Where sin is great, the Lord's grace is greater. Oh, beloved, how sweet is this reality that we are blessed with the grace of the Son of God 
a kindness that has no limits, a kindness that is not turned away from sinners in sin, a kindness that in fact overcomes sin, and a kindness that is taken up, not just, this, this is what I love about God's grace. We talk so much about God's grace in connection with our sin, and we are right to do so. But as I said a moment ago, it is the beginning of his grace for us who are Christians. His grace is connected with every aspect of our lives. It's connected with what happens with work on Monday. It's connected with what's happening with our children. It's connected with what's happening in our politics. It's connected with everything that's going on in our lives. His grace is the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. There's never coming a day, a moment, when God will not be kind to you, beloved, and when his grace will not be sufficient for you. This is the blessing that falls upon the church, the kindness of God washing over us. Notice the second thing here. It's the love of God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us into the love of God. Apart from the Son's grace, there would be no way to enter the Father's love. But once, beloved, once in the Father's love, nothing can separate you from it. This is what the Bible teaches, isn't it? Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. See, once we are in the Father's love, we will only know his love. No one can pluck us from the Father's loving hand. And if we needed proof of God's love for us, the Bible says, look at the cross of his son. For God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, this is how God showed his love to us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Beloved, Christian, what do we think is happening to us as we live as Christians? This text says what's happening to us is we, we live through him which is to say we live in his love. Yeah, every waking moment, washed in his love. But, but his love doesn't end with the sacrifice of his son. His love just continues toward us, and we can, we can know this love. In Ephesians 3, 17 and 19, Paul writes another prayer there for the church in Ephesus, and it's a prayer that, that they would be rooted and grounded in love, and that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. So he's saying there, he's, he's praying that you would have strength. Now think about that word choice. To understand, to comprehend with all the saints in the whole covenant community, Paul is praying that they would have strength to understand together what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passes, surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Beloved, it, it could take us months to plumb that, to dig down into that. What Paul is saying is there's a love so vast you actually have to be strong to understand it. Oh, this ain't cheap, superficial love. This ain't, you know, that flitty, flirty, moving on quickly kind of love. I don't know. Maybe that's that cobra love, whatever y'all talking about at the retreat. I don't know. It ain't that. It ain't that. What we need, beloved, as a church community is to be rooted and grounded in God's love, to have it as our soil, to have it as our foundation, to have it to be what gives us life and strength and stability. And then what we need, beloved, as a church family is strength to understand together how high God's love is, how deep it is, how wide it is, how long it is, which surpasses knowledge. God's love is something you can know but never know completely. 
it's infinite. You can know more of God's love. And there always be more of his love to know. Paul is wishing that this troubled church would know that, that God loves them and they can sort of dive headlong into his love, swim in the deep end and never touch the bottom. But with God, because God loves us this way, beloved, we can trust the love God has for us. Psalm 52, verse 8. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Psalm 143, verse 8. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. You see what the psalmist is doing here? He's connecting his trust for God with the knowledge that God loves him. Let me say it again. Maybe there's someone who's struggling to trust God's love for them. Your, your trust needs to be connected not to your circumstance, but to the God who loves you and the fact that he loves you and he will never stop loving you. This is why John says in 1 John 4, around verse 16, I believe it is, we know and believe in the love God has for us, or we know and rely upon the love God has for us. Is that you, beloved? Do you know his love? Are you relying on his love? 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says that this trustworthy love of God is ours. All that's left is for us to live in it. Which brings us to the third blessing here. Notice the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If the grace of Jesus and the love of God the Father were not enough, the Bible adds the blessing of fellowshipping with God the Holy Spirit. The word fellowship could be translated sharing or participation. So the Bible wishes that we would share in or participate with God the Holy Spirit. Now, some of y'all are too happy that that's been said, and you ready to run around the place, turn over some chairs or something. Go ahead. You can if you want to. Watch the cord now, you know. Hey, if you want to. And some of y'all are a little nervous at that kind of talk. Maybe grew up in churches where talk of the Holy Spirit, if he ever came up, was just really cautionary and nervous for fear of those people who go too far. Forget all that. See what the text says. This book, this blessing says, come fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Come share with him. Come participate with him. Or we use the word communion. Come commune with the Holy Spirit. Talk to him. Sense him. Hear from him. Feel his movement. Understand him. Listen, beloved, think of how much we have because of God the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that the life of God comes into each one of us who believes. It is the Holy Spirit who raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. It is the Holy Spirit who seals us, who stamps us with God's ownership seal until the day of redemption, the day of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who comes into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, testifying with our spirit that we are indeed God's children. It is God the Holy Spirit who prays for us according to the Father's will. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives us spiritual gifts that we might use them to build up the body and to carry out God's work. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us power to witness for Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us and produces in us his, his fruit. We could not be Christians and could not bear fruit for God if it were not for the gift, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Brings to mind a, a dancing metaphor. My wife and I, we were supposed to go salsa dancing yesterday. I got sick. I hate that we, we missed that. The allergy is kicking your boy in the head. But, you know, salsa is all about the choreography. I should get Peter up here to demonstrate. 
uh, to get him to demonstrate. But salsa is all about the choreography. The, 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 the male is leading the dance with gestures and inflections. And, 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 the, and the woman, the partner in the dance, she is hearing and receiving those signals and doing what's being choreographed right there in real time. That's all it is with the Holy Spirit in his church. The Spirit is leading and suggesting and guiding. And if we are communing with him, we're receiving that and following that, keeping in step with the Spirit. And here's the other thing about salsa dancing. It's a great metaphor for marriage, too, but that's a whole other sermon. In the dance, it's not the male who's the star. It's the woman. So his job is to lead, yes, but to lead in such a way that she is seen as more beautiful and more dazzling. So it is with Christ in the church. So it is with the Father in the church. So it is with the Spirit in the church. He leads in such a way that the church looks more glorious and more dazzling than if it were just us out there. So we're to keep in step with the Spirit, to dance with God, to talk with Him and to be talked to be guided by him. Beloved, so much belongs to us as a covenant community because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So much is ours. All the riches of God himself belong to us because God has given himself to us in the gospel. We have all the grace all the love, all the fellowship we could ever need. We may be fully assured of our salvation because of this blessing, the grace that saved us, the love that keeps us, the fellowship that strengthens us will carry us all the way to the glorious day when we shall see God face to face. But what do we do with this truth? Let me lead us with three things very briefly. Let's pray this blessing for each other as a covenant community and remind each other of our inheritance in God. That's what Paul is doing here as he closes this letter. He's basically blessing them with these words, but it's a kind of prayer as well. Let's pray for each other that as we pray through the directory, one page a day, page 29 or 28, for those six people, pray that they would know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in a deep and profound way. Number two, let's study the scripture to know the Trinity better. Let's study God's word so that we can get to know him better. This, this is the best place to go to know what God is like, to, to see how he acts, and to, to, to know his mind, to hear what he says and thinks. We come to this word, let's come to this word as living and active. Let's say, Lord, show me more of yourself. Show me more of what I have in you. Delight in each person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And number three, Let's learn to be expectant, anticipating Christians. With this kind of blessing hanging over our head, how much should we be expecting of God? How much should we be anticipating from him that he would show up and work, that he would be near to us in our need, that he would guide us and speak to us and and fellowship with us, not, not leave us alone. How, how much should we sort of anticipate that when we gather as his people, that he is going to be in the midst of us with a word for us to guide us and to keep us just as he promised? I wonder how much of the flatness that occurs in my spiritual life sometimes, and perhaps in yours, I wonder how much of that flatness it's because I've not been expecting anything of God. I've not been anticipating him working. 
But beloved, this is the blessing that rests upon this church and all God's churches. This is the benediction, not only of 2 Corinthians, but this is the benediction of everyone who is in Christ. That there will forever be grace from the Lord Jesus Christ and love from God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with us all. We'll end on that thought. Not a one of us who are Christ is left out of this blessing. May he be sanctified in our hearts and praised forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time you have given us to think about these things from your word in our covenant. And more than that, we thank you for the reality of these things in our lives. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your grace, your marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins, grace that will keep us to the day of redemption. And Father God, we, we praise you for your love, the love which you had before us before the worlds began, before we were even formed, you loved us. And we thank you that nothing will separate us from your love. And Holy Spirit, we praise you for your fellowship, for the ways in which you speak to us, the ways in which you guide us, the ways in which you nudge us and, and strengthen us and prepare for us. We, 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 we thank you, Lord, for, Holy Spirit, for interceding for us in prayer and groanings, hard to be understood. But we praise you, our dear God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are ours and we are yours. And help us to live in that truth more and more each day, each moment, that our hearts are full with the abundance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.